Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn of Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Scully of Rocco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Richard Wagner's Tannhäuser, Eric, which debuted in Dresden in 1845, one of his earlier operas. It is. It's just his fourth. I mean, the first two nobody ever does anymore. Well, maybe some obscure little house in Germany might do Die Feine das Liebesverbot once in a blue moon, but... Mostly, when we talk about Wagner, we're talking about The Flying Dutchman and then Tannhäuser. Tannhäuser was his fourth opera. And um, as you said, he, it was premiered in Dresden in 1845, but it was then revised by Wagner for a Paris premiere in 1861. And he did pretty extensive revisions uh, on the beginning of the opera in particular because the Parisians required a ballet. You had to have a ballet <laughs> right. in your opera. Uh-huh. And it really needed to be late in the opera because, you know, these noble uh, Parisians would uh, just sort of wandering whenever they felt like it, not necessarily at the starting time of your opera. So they wanted to be sure that they didn't miss the ballet. And Wagner said, well, nuts to that. I'm putting it where I want it. <laughs> he put it right smack in the beginning of the opera. <laughs> and it caused a scandal. <laughs> I can just imagine uh, Wagner sitting there on his way to Paris saying to himself, must have a ballet, must have a ballet, must have a ballet. (laughs) (laughs) Who is Tannhäuser? Well, um, Tannhäuser is, um, uh, he's a knight uh, in this, uh, the company of of, uh, these minnesingers. They're uh, a society of folk who have these song contests, not entirely unlike what we'll see later in Die Meistersinger von Nürnberg, but right. on, a, on a, a less formal scale, perhaps. On a, uh, they're just kind of doing it for the fun of it, kind of like... Sort of like troubadours. Yes. Yeah, or karaoke. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> 13th not really. century karaoke. 13th century karaoke. And this is set in the 13th century. Yeah. Near Eisenach. And as Act One opens, Tannhäuser is in the Venusburg, which is nonstop orgy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you said that. Let's just put it out there. (laughs) There were were legends about this mountain. The Venusburg is inside of a mountain. Right. And originally it was uh, associated with the the, the Norse goddess Holda, the goddess of spring. But as these mythologies tend to do, sometimes differing cultures kind of blend things together, and Holda becomes Venus, the Roman goddess of love. And legend has it that she would seduce men to come into the mountain and just remain there forever, just um, doing what comes naturally, shall we say. So Tannhäuser is there. Inside the mountain. And has been for there for some time, apparently. Right. <laughs> and we get the ballet that you were talking about. In the, per, in the Paris version, yeah. I mean, immediately, uh, the Dresden version, we have the overture. And the overture comes to a complete stop, and then we start the opera. In the Paris version, the overture melds into the ballet, and we just go right into the opera. There is all this bacchanalian music. Yes. As uh all these people are uh, thrashing about in the midst of their uh, orgiastic choreography. Yes. <laughs> and we should point out, yes, if you are a fan of Warner Brothers 
uh, and you know the brilliant Wagnerian parody, What's Opera Doc, a whole lot of that comes from Tannhäuser. <laughs> oh, Brunhilde, you're so lovely. That's straight from Tannhäuser, although not the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> so we open with this orgy, and following that orgy, Tannhäuser, he's finally satiated. He's had enough. Yeah, he has. He's a little tired of it, actually. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> and he longs to, uh, he longs for freedom. He longs to, to, to get back out into the world and to feel the spring and the, the sound of church bells, etc. So he's, he's torn between inside and outside, if you like. Right. So he takes up his harp, which is what they used to accompany themselves back in the day. Yes. And he sings another song to Venus. An ode to Venus, as it were. And at the end of it, he asks, please let me go. Yeah. She doesn't exactly caught into that idea right away. <laughs> it takes some time for him to kind of really make his case, and he has to plead his case again and again. Uh, she, you know, at first is, why would you want to leave me? Why? I give you everything, and you, you know, all your every desire is fulfilled here. Uh, and he keeps pleading it over and over again, and he keeps going back to that refrain, goddess, let me, let me be free, let me leave. And uh, she gets a little angry with him. And then finally, he's pleaded his case over and over enough times that she gets it. And she says, fine. <laughs> well, he says the magic words, so to speak. And that is, he says, my salvation rests in Mary, the mother of God, which sort of breaks the Venus spell. Uh-huh. And it also brings up this whole idea of, of these two sorts of love, the sacred and the profane. Mm -hmm. The carnal versus the spiritual. Um, there are all kinds of dualities here, and, and different directors can really seize upon a particular duality to, to highlight in their production, which is you know what makes this a fascinating piece to interpret. When he says this, Venus and all of her attendants disappear, and he suddenly finds himself in this, uh, this valley, back in the real world, back where he wanted to go, where he could hear the church bells and the spring, etc. And he hears a, uh, sees a shepherd sitting on a rock, has a pipe, and he's singing and playing and celebrating springtime. Yeah. And so we have there that passing from the, the carnality of Venus to the spirituality of this of setting, yeah. Right. And he sees a procession of pilgrims, and this brings back to Tannhäuser this whole idea of of sacred love, Mary, the mother of God, etc. Mm -hmm. Tannhäuser sinks to his knees when he hears the shepherd's song, and he is so grateful to be back in the real world, back in, in nature, etc. And uh, as he's there on his knees, he's discovered by his friends. There's uh, Hermann, the Landgrave, mm -hmm. and then there's Wolfram, Walter, Bitterolf, Reinmar, and Heinrich. All of them uh, bringing back a flood of memories to Tannhäuser of the life that he left. Because they're all minnesingers as well. Yes, they are. 
And what we learn is that Tannhäuser had fled from the court because he'd lost one of their song contests. He had not won. He'd been bested. Really mature. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. So you think you can dance. Yeah, (laughs) right? However, all of his friends are thrilled to see him and and welcome him warmly and and sincerely to come back with them and, and regain his place amongst them. And they tell him that although his song didn't win in that contest, it did win him the heart of Elizabeth, who is Herman, the, the Langrave's daughter. A magic name for him. I mean, the, the, the mere mention of her, of her name just makes him long to go with them and go back and try to regain his life. So all the time that he was with Venus, Elizabeth was back at home, wondering where he was. Pining for him. So he agrees to go back with his friends, back to Elizabeth. End of Act One. End of Act One. In Act Two, we are inside the hall of the the Wartburg, which is this castle, citadel-type thing in the valley. Wherein the song contests take place. And we meet, for the first time, Elizabeth who opens with a great aria, Dicht Heuer Halle, which, I mean, every Jugendlich dramatic soprano, which is to say a dramatic soprano that sings, well, roles like Elizabeth and Eva and Lohengrin, hasn't made it to uh, the big leagues with Brynhilde and Isolde quite yet, (laughs) but perhaps aspires to that someday. This is a, a big favorite of sopranos of this type and... It's a very, very famous aria, and it's exuberant, and it's a great way to open the act. You, dear Hall, and she is so happy that Tannhäuser has returned, and that's what she celebrates in this aria. And she's celebrating her return to the hall because since Tannhäuser has been gone, she has not gone and not set foot in it. That's right. She's been living in seclusion. Mm-hmm. Wolfram leads Tannhäuser to her, and Tannhäuser loves her. But he doesn't want to admit to her what he was doing with Venus. He doesn't want to admit to her or anybody. (laughs) He wants to keep that part of his past deeply buried. And there is going to be another song contest. Right. And the Landgrave and Elizabeth receive guests who are assembling for the contest. Which is the, another big musical set piece. This is huge. This is a big, giant Wagnerian choral scene, the entry of the, the guests. guests. Uh-huh. And it starts with big brass fanfares and just builds and builds and builds. And it's uh, oh, it's just great. It's just great stuff. So all the great and the good from the valley enter into the hall in the Wartburg for this contest. Yes, and the Landgrave announces the subject of the contestants' songs. And they all have to be on the theme of Love's Awakening. Uh-oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this spells trouble for Tannhäuser. that's right. <laughs> and as a prize, Elizabeth will grant the victor one wish. 
whatever it may be. The first performer is Wolfram. And in his song, he declares that love is like a pure stream, which should never be troubled. <laughs> oh, isn't that sweet? That's just special. <laughs> <laughs> and then next comes Tannhäuser. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> and guess what he sings? The very same Ode to Venus we heard him sing in Act One. The highest love can only be found in the pleasures of the flesh. Oh, and boy, <laughs> as everybody's scandalized. And the longer he goes on, the longer it, the more it dawns on more people. Oh my gosh, I know where he's been. <laughs> the other singers throw their support behind Wolfram. What a surprise. Well, Tannhäuser tells them all that if they doubt what he's saying, they, too, should repair to the Venusburg and yeah. experience it for themselves. That was the wrong thing to say in that crowd. <laughs> that was not the right thing to say. Because this is outside of, of the norm of their conception of love. Yeah. So we have, again, that juxtaposition of of the sort of the sacred, the pure love that the minnow singers are singing about and the carnal love, the sensual love that Tannhäuser is singing about. So the reaction that this draws is that the women run, you know, screaming from the hall and the men actually draw swords and they're going to attack him. They're, they're going to wipe this stain from amongst them. Because it's a sort of heresy. Oh, completely, completely. But However... <laughs> Elizabeth protects him Steps in and, and stands in fr and between them Tannhäuser realizes what he's done And he apologizes for his outburst And the Landgrave tells him Okay, but you have to join the band of pilgrims That are on their way to Rome Where you might be able to obtain forgiveness And redemption from the Pope that's the price you pay for singing about love. Yeah. <laughs> right? You have to go to Rome. And that's the end of Act Two. Uh-huh. Act Three. And we are back in the Valley of the Wurtburg. And it's autumn. And it's dusk. It's dusk. And we get a glimpse of what's been happening since Tannhäuser left on his pilgrimage. Elizabeth has been waiting there for him to return and waiting and waiting and waiting. And she sings a beautiful lyrical prayer, Almächtige Jungfrau, Almighty Virgin. She's praying to the Virgin Mary to deliver Tannhäuser home safely. And waiting with her, we discover Wolfram. Because Wolfram is in love with her. He's very much in love with her. And as she slowly walks away, you know, disappointed yet again when Tannhäuser has not come back by that evening, Wolfram now sings another really famous aria. Uh, if you've ever been to a vocal competition ever, you've probably heard a baritone sing Wolfram's Ode to the Evening Star, O du mein holder Abendstern. And he basically prays for Elizabeth. He's worried for her because she's neglecting herself. She's so concerned with Tannhäuser that she's kind of fading. She's And he thinks she might die. Yeah. And then 
he sees before him a pilgrim in these tattered garments. Well, first he hears the pilgrims approaching, as we did in, in Act 1, when Tannhäuser was transported to the Valley of the Wartburg, you hear uh, the pilgrims' chorus, and this is a a motif that's very prevalent in the opera and you hear them before you actually see them and in they come and in at the very end as you say comes this bedraggled pathetic looking pilgrim and lo and behold it's none other than Tannhäuser and Tannhäuser tells Wolfram the bad news and that's he went all the way to Rome to uh, to gain forgiveness and absolution from the Pope, and the Pope refused to give it to him. Not only did he refuse, he added insult to injury. He basically said, when this staff that I'm holding sprouts fresh leaves, then you can be forgiven. Basically saying, you know, when, it's when, never monkeys, gonna fly, happen. when monkeys fly, <laughs> you will have obtained God's forgiveness. And Tannhäuser is just a, a, a beaten bitter, cynical shell of a man. He just doesn't know where to turn at this point. He is at his the end of his rope. And, and we, should, we should say that this is all done in, uh, uh, basically it's a, it's a musical soliloquy. It's called Tannhäuser's Narrative. And it's, uh, it's quite demanding, especially for a tenor who's been singing for, you know, a couple hours <laughs> at this point, and now he's got this thing to get through. It's, it's very dramatic and very... Uh, gripping and engaging. The thing is, Tannhäuser now turns to the only place that he can turn, and that is back to Venus. Yeah. Because the other way has been taken from him. Yeah. So he calls upon Venus, and she appears. She appears and says, all is forgiven. I will take you back in a In a heartbeat. <laughs> Come on in. At which point, Wolfram says to Tannhäuser, there is an angel in heaven that's praying for you, Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth, at that point... Well, Wolfram sees this funeral procession yes. descending the hill, and they are carrying the, the corpse of Elizabeth on right, a bier. Right, And Tannhäuser races to her body, and collapses upon her and says, Holy Elizabeth, pray, pray for, for me. me. And then you hear a chorus, a children's chorus, proclaiming a miracle. A miracle has happened. And the pilgrims come in and they're bearing a staff and it's the Pope's staff. Guess what, folks? The Pope's staff has sprouted leaves. leaves. Tannhäuser is forgiven. End of opera. End of opera. Do they all live happily ever after? Not so much, but... <laughs> Not Elizabeth. <laughs> I think the, word, the key word here is live. <laughs> Tannhäuser and Elizabeth are not, are, have shuffled off their mortal, mortal coil, but we hope that uh, having been redeemed by love, another big Wagnerian theme in all of his operas, that they'll both have a happy afterlife. So what is it in what Tannhäuser does that gains him that forgiveness that he had sought when he went to Rome? Well, that's the question, and it's not easily answered, honestly. It's really not easily answered, and it's, uh, it's, it's the subject of a lot of uh, interpretation by directors. 
is it simply that he's a human being that's that's prone to all the temptations of the flesh and yet wants to do good? Is it that everyone is worthy of forgiveness, no matter how debased and debauched they <laughs> allow themselves to become? Is it that at the end he does turn back to Elizabeth and sends Venus packing? Because he does. At the very end there, he finally turns to to Elizabeth and prays to Elizabeth and, and you hear Venus kind of shrieking, I'm lost, I've lost him, I've lost him as she recedes into the into the mountain again. Is it that? It's it's open to interpretation. So the spiritual does win out here. Yes. Although even that is subject to interpretation, you know, because they all died at the end. So <laughs> Uh, there are no easy answers, which is what makes it so fascinating, you know, in the same way that Carmen is so fascinating and Don Giovanni is so fascinating. Uh, there are endless ways to look at this and explore it, and it bears continual exploration. Richard Wagner's Tannhäuser. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. <laughs>